Psalm 98, a psalm. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. The Lord has made known his salvation. His, righteous, his righteousness he has revealed in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in song, rejoice and sing praises. Sing to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of a psalm, with trumpets and the sound of a horn. Shout joyfully before the Lord, the King. Let the sea roar in all its fullness the world, and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before the Lord, for He is coming to judge the earth. With righteousness He shall judge the world and the peoples with equity. Let us turn now to the Belgic Confession article 37, page 516 of the Book of Praise. Article 37 of the Belgic Confession. The Last Judgment. Finally, we believe, according to the word of God, that when the time ordained by the Lord, but unknown to all creatures, has come, and the number of the elects is complete, our Lord Jesus Christ will come from heaven, bodily and visibly, as he ascended, with great glory and majesty. He will declare himself, of, he will declare himself judge of the living, and the dead, and set this old world of fire in order to purge it. Then all people, men, women, and children, who ever live from the beginning of the world to the end, will appear in person before this great judge. They will be summoned with the voice of an archangel and, and with the sound of the, of the trumpet of God. Those who will have died before that time will arise out of the earth as their spirits are once again united with their own bodies in which they live. Those who will then be still alive will not die as the others, but will be changed in the twinkling of an eye from perishable to imperishable. Then the books will be opened and the dead will be judged according to what they have done in this world, whether good or evil. Indeed, all people will give account for every careless word they speak, which the word regards as mere jest and amusement. The secrets and hypocrisy of men will then be publicly uncovered in the sight of all. Thus, for good reason, 
the thought of this judgment is horrible and dreadful to the wicked and evildoers. But it is a great joy and comfort to the righteous and elect. For then the full redemption will be completed and they will receive the fruits of their labor and of the trouble they have suffered. Their innocence will be known to all and they will see the terrible vengeance God will bring upon the wicked who persecuted, oppressed, and tormented them in this world. The wicked will be convicted by the testimony of their own consciences and will become immortal, but only to be tormented in the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. On the other hand, the faithful and elect will be crowned with glory and honor. The Son of God will acknowledge their names before God his Father and his elect angels. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And their cause at present condemned as heretical and evil by many judges and civil authorities will be recognized as the cause of the Son of God. As a gracious reward, the Lord will grant them to possess glory such as the heart of man could never conceive. Therefore, we look forward to that great day with a great longing to enjoy to the full the promises of God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let us turn, move forward to question and answer 52 of the Heidelberg Catechism, page 534 of the Book of Praise. Question and answer 52 of the Heidelberg Catechism. What comfort is it to you that Christ will come to judge the living and the dead? In all my sorrow and persecution, I lift up my head and eagerly await as judge from heaven the very same person who before has submitted himself to the judgment of God for my sake and has removed all the curse from me. He will cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation. But he will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joy and glory. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, Psalm 2 tells us that the ruler of the earth are conspiring against Christ. The first epistle of John tells us 
that the entire world is under the dominion of the devil. The Apostle Paul tells us that everyone who wants to live a godly life will face persecution. We know that in Christ we are more than conquerors. We know that the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. We know that Christ will dash into pieces all the rulers of the earth who are conspiring against him. We even know that the sufferings of this present age are nothing compared to the glory to come. We know that nothing shall separate us from the love of God manifested toward us in Christ Jesus. However, despite all our knowledge, we are still in an unredeemed body. Consequently, we sometimes despair when the torrents, the floods of ungodliness, persecutions, and afflictions confront us. Christ, our Lord, knows our weaknesses. And that's why he promised us that he will return to deliver us. And that's why he encourages us not to despair because of his absence. That comfort, the comfort that we derive from Christ's promise is what the church confesses in question and answer 52 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Therefore, my assignment this afternoon is to preach to you the comfort of Christ's return as summarized in question and answer 52 of the Heidelberg Catechism. The theme of this sermon is, do not despair, Christ is coming back. Do not despair, Christ is coming back. The theme is subdivided in three points. Christ is coming, Christ will judge, Christ will comfort us. Christ is coming, Christ will judge, Christ will comfort us. Christ is coming. In the first line of the Heidelberg Catechism, in the, of our question, please, and answer, we read, In all my sorrow and persecution, what are those sorrows and persecution that the Catechism is speaking about? Those are the difficulties that the Christian faces because he's still living in a fallen world and because he must contend daily against the unholy trinity. What is the unholy trinity? These are our flesh, the system of this world, and the devil. Daily, the Christian must fight against the weaknesses of the flesh the enticement of the system of this world, and the lies of the devil. Beside the unholy trinity, the Christian faces the difficulties of living in a fallen world. The land has been cursed, so we must all toil hard, fight against thorns and thistles to provide for ourselves 
and also for our brothers and sisters in need. Since God has cursed the creation because of us, we experience sicknesses and death, calamities such as earthquakes, tsunamis, pandemics, droughts, floods, and many others. The World War Church also experiences the consequences of bad governance, such as civil war and various kinds of oppressions. Even children among us can find life difficult. Sometimes school is tough, and obeying is also very difficult. So you see with me, the list is endless for all of us. As if those sufferings were not enough, Christians are singled out in some regions of the world for persecution. Persecutions can take various forms. In Canada, you have an incremental change of the laws to make Christians miserable, to present them as the haters, the bigoted, who must not be tolerated. In France, you have the burning of churches and aggressions against Christians in the street. In China, you have the jailing of ministers and the closing of Christian schools. And in Nigeria, you have the cutting down of Christians with machetes. These are just some examples of the great persecutions that Christ's people face. Why such a fury against the people of Christ? The answer is because the world cannot help it but persecute the church. Why can they help? Because there is a natural enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the snake. It is a fact more certain than gravity. And it is something that we must incorporate in our thoughts. As surely as a stone thrown into the air always falls down, surer is the fact that the system of this world detests the church. Amid all those difficulties and persecutions, what do we do? We may not do as we please. We must lift up our heads and eagerly await. What does it mean to lift up our head and await? The Catechism is borrowing this expression from Luke 21, verse 28. So let us open our Bibles in Luke 21 and read from verse 25 to 28. Luke 21, from verse 25. And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, 
and in the stars. And the earth, and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then there we see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing. Please, because your redemption draws near. In this passage, Jesus is speaking to his disciples about the end times. He gives various descriptions of the calamities that will be happening before his return. Then he tells them that when those calamities and sufferings happen, the world will be overwhelmed with fear and despair. But Jesus' disciples should not despair. They should lift up their head. Why? Because the final salvation draws near. So to lift up one's head means to take courage, to be joyful, to refuse to despair. Thus, the Catechism is repeating the words of Jesus in telling us that the sufferings and persecution that the church is currently facing should not drive us to despair. On the contrary, we should stand firm with joyful confidence, knowing that the Lord Jesus himself is coming back. Again, when the world hates us because we belong to Christ, let us remember that Christ is coming. When temptations and sins are harassing you, remember Christ is coming. When you suffer sicknesses and whatever afflictions because you are in a fallen world, remember, dear people, Christ is coming. Christ is coming. Christ is coming. Christ is coming. Remember, people of Christ. We have just learned in this first point that we must be joyful and confidently await Christ. But what makes Christ so precious, so delightful, captivating to Christians? Let us see in our second point. Our second point, Christ will judge. The Catechism confesses that we eagerly await as judge from heaven the very same person who before has submitted himself to the judgment of God for our sake and has removed all curse from us. What does the Catechism remind us of here? The Catechism reminds us that Christ is judge, that he paid the price for all our sins and that he satisfied God's wrath for, uh, toward us. As someone said, he drank the cup of God's wrath to the full that we may have the cup of God's blessing 
to the full. How can Christ accomplish those two roles, the role of judge and the role of atoning sacrifice? For us to understand that, let us read Hebrews 4, please, Hebrews 1, verse 1 to 4. Hebrews 1, verse 1 to 4. I'm reading. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by, him, by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. In this text, the Holy Spirit teaches us that the word of Christ is God's ultimate revelation. The Holy Spirit teaches that we should not expect any other revelation in this present age, any revelation in addition to what we have already received in scriptures from the apostles and Christ himself. Why? Because Christ is God. Christ is the exact imprint of the Father's nature, meaning that he is of the same nature with the Father. He is the radiance of the glory of God, meaning that just like light is intimately associated with his rays, the Father and the Son are intimately associated, united beyond our understanding. The Son cannot be without the Father, and the Father cannot be without the Son. Yet, the two are different. No one has ever seen the Father, but this unique Son, who is from the bosom of the Father, has explained Him, as John 1:18 tells us. So, Jesus has the divine nature and the natural authority which gives him the right to judge the world. Let us continue. The passage also tells us that after making the purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This means that after making the complete purification of God's people, as well as of the heavenly temple, God, uh, Christ, please, sat at the position of the highest possible authority in heaven. That is, at the right hand of God. Now, let us sing together. Who did the consecration of the, tabernac of the tabernacle in the Old Testament? 
Moses, the mediator, was the one who oversaw the making of the yearly purification of the temple. The high priest was the one. Thus, we see that Christ, in offering himself as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and in purifying the heavenly temple, acted as the sacrifice, the mediator of the covenant, and the high priest at the same time. And since he's the high priest of the heavenly temple, he is also for us our great high priest. Therefore, the catechism confesses with scriptures that the same Jesus who has all authority in heaven and on earth and who is the ultimate mediator between God and man and who continuously intercedes for us, bore for us the wrath of God. And he is the same one who will come as our judge from heaven. In other words, the one who gave himself for our salvation, who paid the price to help us escape the damnation that we deserve, that same one is coming to judge us. Do you think that when Jesus Christ comes back, that he will require another payment after having sacrificed his life for us? No. Jesus is a just and gracious judge. He will not require twice a payment for the same work that he has done. Because of the great love that the Father has for the church, he did not just give Jesus as a sacrifice, he also established Jesus as head of the church. So we are united to Christ, we are members of Christ's household. More, we are even members of Christ's body. And that's why the enemies of Christ are also our enemies. And that's why in their effort to attack Christ, the enemies of Christ ultimately attack us. That's why when Paul appeared to, when Jesus, please, appeared to Paul on the road of Damascus, he did not say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? But he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What does this mean? It means that persecuting the church is persecuting Christ. It also means that if you are in Christ, God sees Christ whenever he looks at you. And whenever God looks at his son, Jesus Christ, he also sees you wearing Christ's righteousness. And that's why Christ is so precious to us as Christians. Christ is our Lord, our head, our advocate. Christ is our justification, our righteousness, our sanctification. Christ is our redeemer, our mediator, our comforter. Christ is our hope, our peace, our joy. Christ is our great high priest, our prophet par excellence. Christ is our king, our everything, our raison d'être. And that's why Christ is so precious to us 
as Christians. That's why Christ is so captivating, delightful to us. And that's why we yearn to see him returning. And that's why we say with the churches of all ages, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. But our Lord and God, Jesus Christ, has enemies. He has haters. Who are those? What must someone do to be accounted as an enemy of Christ? All those who refuse to embrace Christ's offering of forgiveness, all those who refuse to submit to him are his enemies. And therefore, the enemies of the church, the enemies of every true Christian. What will Christ do to his enemies? He will send them to hell. Since they have refused to love him, he will send them to the place where they do not need to love him. Since they have refused to be at peace with him, he will send them to a place where they will be continuously at war against him, and there they will endure his fury. How do we apply this to our current life? We can apply this in many ways. And one of the applications is this. We do not need to be bitter. We do not need to seek to extract our pound of flesh whenever someone offends us. If the person offending us is an enemy of Christ, we can be assured that Christ will repay that person in full at his return. But if the person is a brother, a sister in Christ, we should know that Christ has already paid for that person. Christ has forgiven that person. Therefore, we cannot ask for another payment. We can understand that in Christ, we have all the resources that it takes to forgive one another. Wherefore, when you feel bitterness or a desire for revenge rising, welling up in your heart, pray God and ask Him to help you remember what Christ has done and what He will do when He will come back. With this, we reach the end of our second point. What did we see so far? We saw that Christ has the, divi the divine nature necessary to judge the universe. We also saw that he has the human nature necessary to die for us. In other words, by the power of his divine nature, he could bear in his human nature the wrath of God against our sins. And that's how the one who submitted himself to God's judgment on our behalf is also our judge coming from heaven. Now, let us see how Christ will comfort believers at his second coming, our third and last point.
Christ will comfort us. What does the catechism confess about the, com the comfort of Christ's return? In the catechism we read, but he will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joy and glory. Let us open our Bibles in 2 Thessalonians 1 and we read from verse 6 to verse 10. Second Thessalonians 1, from verse 6. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his sins and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. In this text, the Apostle Paul writes to people in the city of Thessalonica. The Christians of that city were suffering greatly from persecutions. What does the Apostle Paul say to them? He tells them that God He's just. That God sees all the wickedness that the church in Thessalonica is enduring. And since God has himself said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, the apostle can assure, can assure our Thessalonians brothers that when Jesus comes back, he will avenge them. Not only will Jesus avenge the Thessalonians, but we also bring relief, putting an end to all the sufferings of those brothers. When our Redeemer, Jesus, comes, he will put an end to temptations and sins. Can you imagine that, brothers and sisters? No more battle against our flesh, against the system of this world, against the devil. The ability to enjoy Jesus' presence to the fullest possible extent of our redeemed humanity. When Jesus comes, he will give us new, perfect, healthy body. We will no longer be sick. When Jesus comes, he will give us the entire earth as our inheritance, as it is written in Psalm 37. Furthermore, there is something even greater than the end of all sufferings and the reception of the earth as an inheritance. 
when Jesus comes, we will all marvel at Christ. We will see him face to face in all his glory and in a miraculous way, all our deepest desires and need will be satisfied just because we will see him, just because we will be with him. Jesus Christ will literally be himself our great reward. So, brothers and sisters, remember these things when you hear of the persecution of your brothers and sisters in other countries or even here in Canada. Remember these things when sin harasses you. Remember these things when you are sick. Remember these things when you suffer afflictions, when you are persecuted because of your faith. Remember, remember, remember that Jesus Christ is coming back and refuse to despair. On the contrary, lift up your head, stand in faith with joyful confidence for your Savior, Jesus, is coming to judge the earth. When Jesus, in whom our lives are hidden, will appear, we shall also appear with him in glory. What a comfort. Amen.